I think in some ways, this commission, this instruction to find your passion is really an unfair, uh, an unfair uh, suggestion, encouragement that we give to young people, like find your singular passion, right? I remember being a young person and being like, so conflicted, like, like eight or nine years old, like, what's my one thing, I need to figure out my one thing. And it was like, so stressful, like, what's gonna be that one thing that defines my whole life? Um, and to be totally honest, I don't think that that is a conversation that stopped at eight years old for me or for anyone else. You know, there's this feeling of like, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I have found that to not be very helpful. And so I think today, I, I really, even with my friends who are, you know, in their 30s and their 40s, uh, friends in their 20s, rather than thinking, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? Uh, I ask, what do I want to be doing for the next three to five years? Hi, and welcome to the Futures Collective podcast. This is a podcast where we dive into the journeys of incredible change makers from around the world, unpacking the experiences and skills that have been pivotal in finding success and fulfillment through their lives. My guest today is Elise Burden. Elise is a member of the 2018 Forbes 30 under 30 list for education, and she's also the co-founder of Real World Scholars. Without giving too much away, I'm going to dive through really what inspired Real World Scholars for Elise and how her journey up to that moment uh, was shaped and all of the different learnings that she's had as a young entrepreneur um, trying to make change in a space in an industry that really hasn't had much innovation for quite some time. So I hope you guys enjoy. Great. So excited to have you here, Elise. Um, We'll just jump straight into things. So I guess for a bit of context, uh, tell everyone listening in sort of what it is you're doing right now. Yeah, so I am the co-founder of Real World Scholars. We are a nonprofit organization based out of San Diego, California, but we work with educators all around the country. And essentially, we work with educators across the states to build tools to usher in the future of school. Um, We know that learning is relational and that connection is a big part of that. But oftentimes, young people and schools in particular uh, are not connected. They're not connected with each other. They're not connected with their communities. And so we look for little opportunities, um, little kind of gaps in, in, uh, in learning. And, and we think of them as opportunities and we build bridges essentially. And we work with educators to build those bridges, whether it's a bridge that makes it easier for young people to engage in entrepreneurship in the classroom and connect with the community or to engage in community problem solving with local community partners. We just know that when people come together, magic happens. And so we're always looking for opportunities to, to make that spark happen. And we invest in technology that can make that smart spark happen easier. Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. And it sounds very much aligned in sort of the, the values and the passion that drives the work that I'm doing with Futures Collective, which is why I was super excited to reach out and get you on. So I'd really just love to dig through your journey and how you got to a stage where you know, you're running an incredible organization like this and creating the impact in the way that you are. Um, so I guess just to start us out here, Elise, um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California, um, kind of a little bit all over, but a little bit outside of Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, and so what was that like for you? I mean, what are some of the things that you remember, I guess, going through high school, maybe the challenges and the experiences that you've had along the way? Was there, Is there stuff that maybe sticks out to you at this stage? Yeah, you know, I was a real busybody. Um, I like to tell a story about uh, when I was maybe seven or eight. And in my mind, me and some friends had this idea to have a parade. 
And I remember in my mind really thinking it was going to be a parade and it was going to be a Hawaiian theme and I was going to sew all of the costumes. And I, and I, you know, you might have thought I was 65 years old in my mind because I remember sewing grass skirts together. Like, oh, these grass skirts are just taking forever. And it's so funny to me now because of course there was not going to be a thousand person parade, but at seven years old, it did not, that did not occur to me. It was like a, a, a task or a feat that would have been too big. I think I've always been a bit of an optimist and, uh, and a busybody and thinking that I can get a lot of stuff done and that like no task is too big, uh, mm. to tackle. Um, and I think I still carry some of that with me today, uh, much, much to my, uh, demise sometimes. I don't say no enough. Um, but yeah, yeah I, was a real, I was a real busybody. I think I was a really creative person. I remember drinking a bunch of coffee through high school and staying up all night sewing things and crafting and, you know, and just projecting. I always really liked to create um, and saying that I'm not a very good artist. It's not that I was incredibly talented in any of these things, but I was really industrious. I was involved in lots of after school activities. And, um, and I think I really just enjoyed people and I really enjoyed um, creating and making things happen. Um, and I think all of those things, you know, I, they gave me, um, I had enough exposure and enough practice at a young age, whether it was in these like less formal planning of my neighborhood parade or more formal student mm-hmm. government type of opportunities. I think it really gave me an opportunity to kind of like sharpen my leadership chops, um, figure out, you know, I think that entrepreneurial mindset is like essentially if you have a goal, what do you need to do to make that goal happen? And I think I had a lot of opportunities as a young, per, as a young person to, figure that out um, and to, to plan things and to get, you know, be resourceful. And, um, and so, you know, it, and, and some of those things were in school opportunities, but a lot of them weren't, you know, they were in these extracurriculars or at church or in my neighborhood or whatever. And so, you know, I think I had a lot of early practice in um, essentially just like learning how to make shit happen. And so, you know, after college, I, I bounced around a little bit. I worked on a couple of different, uh, for a couple of different NGOs and on a couple of projects. And I eventually landed in San Diego and I didn't expect to stay here. In fact, it was like, I thought it was going to be a pit stop growing up in Southern California, much closer like to LA. I never liked San Diego. It was always too sleepy and quiet and it was a pretend city. And so when I came here, I thought this was going to be a, a three month hiatus until I moved on to whatever was next. And then I met my co-founder and he essentially had some, some problem to solve. He had this idea around youth entrepreneurship and getting young people actually building businesses. And he wanted to know how that could happen. And so I, uh, I got, I got looped in, I got roped in and it was something that resonated for me. And, you know, I, I had those opportunities. I had those opportunities to look at a, a big, scary problem or a big pipe dream and say like, okay, how can we, how can we make this work? And they were obviously really pivotal for me. And so having the opportunity to, you know, to create, you know, a, a platform or an opportunity for young people to then do that in a more uh, regular kind of scalable way in a way that could really integrate into, into core education. That was really exciting to me. And so, you know, I think what's beautiful now is that oftentimes we're talking to young people, the, the classrooms that we support, we get to share that we're on the same journey that they are. We're, we're a startup too. We're also learning as we go. And so the idea that they're building a business, not to just have a business, but to learn how to learn, mm-hmm. to learn how to figure things out as you go when there is no roadmap, we're on the exact same journey. And, yeah. you know, I like to joke about how I don't, I don't like, I'm not qualified for my job. Like you couldn't hire me for my job, you know, today because I, <laughs> I got here and, and, and I, we built this thing and I don't know what I'm doing either, but you don't know that you can do it until you do it, you know, until you actually yeah. put your hands to work. And so it's, it's a fun parallel journey that I'm on 
alongside my team, alongside our teachers, alongside our classrooms, where we're all just figuring it out together. And the destination isn't that important. It's actually the journey of learning how to learn, how to figure it out, the confidence you find in that, the, the kind of the, the fact that you can stand a little bit taller as you figure those things out. Um, that's the beauty. And so, you know, it's kind of cool that that's such a part, big part of my story. And it's a big part of kind of the work that we do here at Real World Scholars. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. And, it's, you know, it's a huge uh, vision. It's, you know, you guys are doing some some great things and having a great impact so far. Um, I really do want to touch on something you said sort of a bit earlier on in that, which is about the opportunities that you had um, from a young age, both within the classroom and outside. Um, and something I'm really keen on digging into is about what really motivated you to explore those opportunities outside of the classroom? I think I was a really curious kid. And, you know, I was always the kid who like wanted to sit at the grown up table um, mm. for Christmas or Thanksgiving, you know, because I was like, oh, those children have nothing interesting to say. You know, I really thought of myself as this like older, very mature person, like from a very young age. Um, and so I think, you know, when I remember being in elementary school, actually, it may have been, it may have been junior high, it was junior high. Uh, and, uh, you know, there being this like stock market Saturday class that you could take. And I was like, well, of course I want to learn about the stock market because everyone needs to know about the stock market, you know? Yeah. And now I'm, you know, almost 30 and I don't know anything about the stock market. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but at the time, I think this idea of like, I wanted to do it all and I'm a kind of an adaptable person and like, I, you know, I'm a people person and, and I think, you know, my teachers really liked me and the adults around me really liked me because I was kind of this outgoing kid. And, and so, you know, if they invited me to do something, I said, Hey, at least like there's something you might be interested in. Not only did I want to say yes, because, you know, if they got, if they invited me, then surely I wanted to be a part of it. But also, yeah. you know, it was all those opportunities to see like, am I good at this? Am I good at this? Like, and, you know, I did a lot of like theater as a young person. Like, is that something I like to do? I did a lot of singing as a young person. Is that something I like to do? You know, and so I, um, I just wanted to do it all. I think I was really curious and, and it excited me that I could learn all of these really what felt like really usable skills that I would need when I was no longer a child because I was very eager to no longer be a child. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like before going into Real World Scholars, you mentioned, you know, that you were someone who loved to create, you know, you love to dip your toes in different things. Um, did you actually, I guess, pursue an area? I know you, you touched on like theater and the arts there. Did you actually pursue pursue sort of um, something around those areas before obviously moving into the work you're doing right now? I didn't. I didn't. Those were mostly kind of extracurriculars for me. I, in mm -hmm. college, I think the closest relevant experience in college, I, um, I went to Pepperdine University, which is in Malibu, California. And there was at the time a strong, um, a strong Burma um, conversation happening. There was a church across the street that had supported um, several organizations working there. And so when mm -hmm. I learned about, you know, the civil war that was happening there, and that was the longest running civil war in the world, you know, got really interested. And there was a group of us who were really interested and wanted to get more involved in advocacy. And so, you know, over the next two years, we started an organization that was really centered on um, raising awareness in colleges and faith communities so that they become better advocates for Burma, the war, the, you know, the, the violence and um, human rights uh, violations that were happening there and trying to solicit support from international organizations to to help intervene. 
And so, you know, we did a couple of big events where we did like telecasts and, and, and worked, you know, one, one project we did was a, like a live stream, which is kind of funny to think about now because that was like before there was like normal live streams, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Uh, but you know, there was like a live stream and we live streamed to 70 different college campuses where each had events and all of them like watched this video and we kind of did this like fun kind of MTV like, you know, set where, people were interviewed with like people who worked on the ground there in the war zones and what that was like. And at the end of it, there was this big letter writing campaign to really urge a commission of inquiry on behalf of the UN to look into human rights violations. And, hmm. you know, and it, again, it was these things that was like, we had this idea and there was nothing that was going to stop us from making this idea happen. And, and now, you know, you, you live and you learn and it, it's, I, I don't regret any of that work. It was, it was really beautiful work. And I got some of my very best friends out of it. Um, it, but you know, uh, did it move the needle? I don't totally know. Uh, but I think there was a lot, you know, there was a, a, an elevated conversation there. And so it's kind of, again, it's just kind of funny to look back and like we had these, we, we had these ambitious dreams and we didn't know what we were doing. And so we just started Googling until we figured out what we could do. And, uh, and that's not that dissimilar from what I do today. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, go, moving into, sorry, what did you study at college actually, Elise? Yeah, so I was a double major, political science and international studies. Mm, awesome. So h- how do you think your experience at college really influenced sort of where you're at? How do you think sort of compared to the experiences you've had as well external to the classroom and those within sort of the college system, how have they complemented each other for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I think I've always been a very mission driven person. And I always, you know, since I was a young person, you know, I wanted to do something that included making the world a better place at a grand scale. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big systems person. I like to think about, uh, the systems that inhibit progress, uh, and the ones that we can build that help propel it. And I've always kind of been that way. And so I think that, that fire has always been there. Um, and then going to Pepperdine, that was only intensified because at Pepperdine, the culture is very vocationally based. Mm. It is not about making a lot of money. It is not about, you know, I mean, obviously that's, I'm sure lots of people want to do that, but there is this strong, uh, there's just, strong theme around how are you going to change the world? What are you going to do with your education to go change the world? And so that was really fed and cultivated there. Um, and then from a, you know, from a, um, an educational perspective, you know, political science and international studies are, are, are very relevant because ultimately there's social sciences, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're looking at what are the social factors, uh, that, that lead to certain problems and what, uh, opportunities do we have? what faculties are at play that can be part of a solution. And I think it helps contribute to kind of complex problem solving skills, um, intercultural communication, like all of these things are a part of it. And while, you know, the education work I'm doing today is mostly not international. It's very domestic. It's the work we do here is mostly based in the States. Um, It's, there are some really relevant learnings and really relevant postures around understanding how these problems come um, come, where they come from, uh, how different stakeholders contribute to the problems and, and to the ecosystems that we all kind of exist in, and then how we um, can address them. And so it felt really relevant, you know, and, um, and I couldn't be happier that I landed in education. It's kind of funny that it was a little bit of a, a twist of luck. You know, I could have yeah. gone on to, uh, I was doing some advocacy work before and, uh, you know, obviously, and, and then after I had done the, the, you know, started Love Mine and went on and worked in, I went on to work in Thailand on similar issues. You know, I could have done a lot of these same issues or, yeah. or, or could have worked on different issues, whether it was hunger or poverty or, um, you know, international aid and development. 
uh, but I kind of landed in education and it, it really suits me. I didn't obviously study education, but it's, uh, yeah. you know, some folks say it's the biggest civil rights issue of our time. And it, that does really resonate for me is that we have one of the biggest opportunities is young people, right? We have yeah. millions of young people sitting in schools every single day. And for the most part, they're disengaged. And there is such an opportunity um, cost to having these young people and the brilliance that sits in their brains 100%. go untapped, uncultivated, right? We have big issues. And they're going to be the ones who have to struggle with these big issues. And so the idea that like we're not giving them the opportunity to begin to address them and those issues and develop the skills that they need to to um, to, to one day either today or the future address those issues feels uh, like a, a big tragedy to me. And so yeah. that's kind of the work that we do today. It's like, how can we engage young people right here, right now in their communities with things that they already care about? Like how can we start now and empower them now? Yeah. Um, so it still feels very relevant to kind of what I studied and where I came from and really where I want to go. Yeah. And I mean, it is so sad that we don't tap into that curiosity and the creativity that young people have from that younger age and use that to, figure out the you know these novel and unique solutions to, to issues that are going to be you know impacting us moving forward um do you think that Elise, your background of not having a background in education has actually given you like a unique perspective that you bring into the area hmm i mean i don't feel like i have so much of a background in education as i do kind of an entrepreneurship right and mm-hmm. so and that's just because I've been at the beginning of a lot of projects. And I do think that it can be really helpful because, you know, and this is all to say that there is not a single skill set or perspective that is going to um, solve some of these big, scary problems. We really do need a diversity of skill sets and, and, and mindsets on, on the, at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I am a problem solver. One of my favorite things, you know, my, I think I drive my friends crazy because the minute that they have like an idea for a business, I'm like whiteboarding it. And I'm like, you know, we can think about these stakeholders. And if you think about these kinds of priorities in this ecosystem, like I'm a big visual strategic thinker and it gets me really excited. Right. And I think the reality is that a lot of folks who are working in education are pretty confined. They're confined to their classrooms. They're confined to their schools. And there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I think having some additional external perspectives, not because they don't know these things or they can't figure these things out. I, you know, it's really important that I note that. I don't think that teachers can't do this. Um, mm. I just think that teachers, educators are busy. They're very busy people. If you ever know a teacher, you know that they work really long hours. And so having um, people from the community, from outside of the tornado that can be a school day, come in and lend their expertise um, or their perspectives, especially, you know, if they can be of the strategic variety, um, I think can be really helpful. And so I love, um, I'm a bit of a... Um, uh, an experimenter. I love like taking in as much quick data as we can to figure out what's the problem. Cause I think problem finding is really important. Let's take in as much quick data as we can to figure out what the problem is and then start to experiment with some, some solutions. And, uh, and I do think that being able to move quickly and strategically has been a big value add for the work that we do here and with the educators that we support, uh, because it's so different than the space that they operate in. You know, education moves really slowly. Lots of things have to be approved. Uh, you know, change is yeah. hard. And so the fact that we get to sit alongside of the teachers that we support and, and kind of go in the opposite direction where we can be really empowering and we can embrace failure and we can try one thing today and another thing tomorrow. Um, that I think is a, a breath of fresh air for the educators that we work with. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think that's, it sounds like, you know, the, the work you're doing is great and is so refreshing as well, um, for teachers, for students, you know, who otherwise go through the same sort of, 
um, routines that they go through every day and every week um, to get that fresh perspective, to get that fresh way of learning and fresh way of looking at things can be so um, so empowering. So at least, you know, someone that's just come out of high school myself, I know that um, a couple of workshops like those had a massive impact on me. Um, and so I can only imagine, you know, how this is impacting impacting others as well. Um, you did mention, Elise, that you're someone that is very much a big picture thinker, you know, a visionary, creative, you've got those big ideas. Um, and I know that for a lot of young people, and this is very much for myself as well, um, who is a big picture thinker as well, um, it's really hard to look at those big ideas and visions and then breaking that down into something that's manageable to take those first steps. Um, and oftentimes that's a barrier towards actually executing is not knowing where to start. Um, how yep. do you go around actually managing those big visions, big ideas that you had and actually take those first steps in a way that was possible for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm really glad you asked it. Um, you know, I think, um, I think the tough love that I can give the young people around me is, uh, that sometimes we have ideas and we don't know that they're bad ideas. And sometimes we have ideas and we don't know that they're good ideas. But ideas have to turn into something beyond ideas. Like they have to leave our brain so that we know. And I've met a lot of young people with some good and some bad ideas, but because they, they're, they're only in their brain, they're just dreams, right? And so I think what you have to start doing, first you gotta start talking about it. Like talk, talk, talk. And not just to your friends. Talk to anyone with any relevant expertise. The next time that you're at a party and someone might have some relevant expertise, share your idea. Why? Because the more you talk about it, the more you find holes in it and you figure out like, what is that vision? The second thing is sometimes we have these big visions and we don't, um, and they're not shared. And I think it's really important to note, you know, I'm not trying to ruin anyone's dreams by any means, but you know, I think it's the difference between art and design. Mm. I sat in a talk a couple of years ago and art is for you, right? In which case paint whatever big vision you want, but design, design is for someone else. Design is for a purpose. So if your big vision is to solve some sort of problem or to start some sort of business. It's going, it's, it's for something beyond just you. You're not just building a house, but for yourself, you're building a hotel for other people. You have to start validating that that idea is even something that works with other humans. It is something that they're interested in that they would pay money for or they want to partner on. Like there has to be some bit of a uh, connection where you recognize that this isn't just a value to you. It's a value to other people. So I think that's really the first mm. place is figuring out, do other people give a shit? <laughs> Gotta start there. And then the next thing I think is, you know, um, don't get so caught up in the vision that you can't start with the, like, start somewhere, right? And there's the, the, the quote, do what you can with what you have, where you are, you know, don't boil the ocean. If you want to solve world poverty, like, you know, I think you have to start in your own community and be mindful of the fact that if you want something that can address world poverty, Think about how this can scale. Think about how this can replicate. You know, ultimately, there is not one little solution that is going to bring about wide scale change in this in one way, right? Like, I think we all have to recognize that every giant movement, whether it's social in nature or or just a business idea, with with a couple exceptions like the internet, uh, which was kind of in a, a league of its own you are going to be working alongside other people who are chipping away at the same market, at the same problem. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, don't try to come up with the one thing that's going to solve all the problems for everyone everywhere. You know, start with something that's tangible. What resources do you have? What people do you know? Like, you got to start like learning about the folks around you, what they're doing, what's relevant, what's already been done. Like, I really think that a lot of times when I talk to young people about the work that they're doing, um, you know, I talked to someone kind of recently who wanted to start an education 
business and they wanted to train teachers. And then I asked this person, when were they in the classroom? And they said, Oh, I'm not, I've no, I was never in the classroom. I was a TA once. And I was like, have you talked to any teachers about this? And he was like, well, there's that one friend of mine I've talked to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just thought like, you have to learn, like you want to operate in a space, but you haven't taken the time to learn about the space yeah. and really understand what you're up against, what assets can be leveraged, what work is already being done that you can piggyback off of. And so I think that's the other thing I could just say is learn, 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 make that learning as relational as possible so that it's both you reading every article out there about it, but also messaging the author and asking them questions and starting to have conversations, relevant conversations with the people who are interested in the same stuff as you, because not only will that help you better understand where you can start, it will start to give you a better idea of like, who could be on your team, you know, uh, both a formal or an informal team. Like we have a lot of people who are kind of on our informal team who are kind of in our tribe who really help us think through things and help us hone our ideas to be something that's actually actionable. Um, you know, and so I, I think that's how you can kind of start right where you are is learning and what's around and what's possible. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, as someone who didn't have a background in education yourself, um, how did you go around you know, actually getting that knowledge and that experience that is valuable, obviously, around the education space in the work that you're currently doing, as you mentioned, you know, um, someone that you had spoken to wanted to do something around teaching and education, but really had only spoken to one teacher that they knew personally. So what was your steps um, in terms of, you know, getting into the field that you wanted to? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, humility is really important, especially with something like education. Mm-hmm. Um, teachers are really used to people telling them that they don't know what they're talking about, that those who can't do teach, that yeah. you know the system is broken and anyone who's complicit in the system is, you know, just as dumb. Like, like teachers are really good, like, like used to being um, told that their voices don't matter. And so yeah. for someone who was never in a classroom as a teacher, it was going to be really important for me and for my co-founder to come in with all of the humility in the world and not come in like another organization or another set of people who say, we know nothing about this space. That's really complex because human learning is really complex and all the systems that we've created to manage that learning is really complex. Um, We know nothing about those things, but we have a really good idea that we think that you should try out. Mm. Um, That was going to be a, that was going to be a losing approach. And so, you know, for us, we talked to anyone who would listen. We put ourselves in the right place at the right time. You know, we said yes a lot. And so that meant we were at conferences, that meant we were at every happy hour, that meant we picked up the phone a lot and just picked people's brains and learned what are your challenges, you know, not just do like my idea, um, but like, what ideas are you working on yourself? What are your biggest pain points? You know, if you could reinvent the system, what would that look like? And I think when you start talking to real people, uh, you start to understand kind of the underbelly of the issue, uh, which I think is really, really important. And, um, and to date, we are still adamantly, um, like committed to the elevation of our teachers and their voices, because we know that like, we're like, we don't do this work without them. And they're the ones who really informed this work, you know, and so even now, you know, I've been doing this for five years. um, And I think I've got a pretty good handle on some of these things. And even still, you know, we're about to launch a new platform. And even still, I'm creating lots of opportunities, I'm looking for every opportunity to go learn from other teachers and say, would this work for you? And if not, how can I make it work for you? Because the reality is they're my end user, you know, like we're a nonprofit, but you know, teachers are our customers in some regard, right? They're the ones who are signing on the dotted line and saying, yes, we would love to work with you. And so I need to really know what they want. And that's yeah. like some of the biggest advice I can give to anyone else is like, don't assume you know what your customers want because 
you know, that, that's where we kind of get lost and, and realize, you know, a year in and lots of money in that like, oh, it's not working. Well, it's because we didn't take the time to ask. Um, and I think when you come, especially for these people who don't often have their voices heard and you say, hey, I'm really interested in your opinion. Um, it can be it can be a really empowering experience. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, having that constant attitude of wanting to go out and learn and understand and also the willingness to adapt your perspective and your approaches is so important. And I think that feeds into a topic that we really want to touch on, um, which is around growth mindset. Um, so, yeah, I mean, first of all, what is growth mindset um, in the way that you look at it, Elise? Oh, man, I didn't think about the fact that I was going to have to come up with a definition. <laughs> um, I think, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say this. My nephew is in the third grade. And the way that he talks about growth mindset is he just incorporates yet that powerful, powerful word into almost everything he talks about. I don't know how to do this yet. I haven't figured this out yet. Mm. And so that yet, the growth mindset is um, is essentially the abandoning of this idea that intelligence is fixed, that you're smart or you're dumb. Uh, and that, that if you know how to do something, it's because you're really good at math and I'm not really good at math versus the idea of like, I haven't figured this out yet. Yeah. Um, I think growth mindset for me is a posture of learning and just recognizing that we can always be learning. Uh, and, you know, as an entrepreneur, someone who's constantly trying to figure out, you know, what we need to do to accomplish A, B, and C in a half the time. You know, I remember the first two or three years of this work, I would take such ferocious notes on our calls because with, with people because I, it was a list of things I was going to have to Google later because I didn't know half of these words. Like I didn't know those things yet, but I was going to need to know those things if I was going to continue this work. And so, you know, we're constantly learning. And I think it's super important um, not just to constantly be learning, but to be open about the idea that you're going to get it wrong. You know, I think, again, when you have an idea, sometimes you get so um, attached to the sales pitch. You know, it comes back to that story piece that we were talking about earlier, the stories that we tell about ourselves, the stories we tell about the work that we want to do. And sometimes we get so rose tinted, you know, we, we put on such thick rose tinted glasses that we can't be honest about the fact that actually our, our original approach was misguided or we missed the mark in this way. And the reality is that we have made so many mistakes as an organization, just so many mistakes. And the only reason that we're still here today is that we are willing to be super open and, 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 and honest with ourselves and as early as possible say, that doesn't work anymore. What else could, like, what else is possible? Um, and then I think beyond that, you know, when you're working in any kind of social space, like if you're working in the world, you are going to have assumptions that are going to get tested and proven, uh, proven wrong. And sometimes these are going to be business assumptions. Sometimes these are going to be assumptions um, about how you talk about people. And there is, uh, I, I think you, to some degree, have, you need to get ready to have your ass handed to you. Because there's just some things that you're not going to know. And you're going to give it your very best try. And you're going to be really attached to the work. And you're still going to get it wrong. And it can be a really emotional process where you detach from the fact that you are not your work. And I think that's really important for young people because we get really attached and, and just, you know, I still think of myself as a young person. I'm not always just talking at young people. Like, yeah. oh, this is like, this is, these are my people, right? But we get really attached to our work. And so then when someone's like, eh, it's not quite right here, or this is something you can consider, we think, no, no, this is my idea, or this is what I do here. This is my role. And we just get very attached. And I think having that open hand where we can continue to be learning about ourselves, our postures, our mindsets, be open to correction, be open to learning, 
be willing to be honest with ourselves about what's working and what's not. Like if we can do that, we just move so much faster and it's hard because it requires a certain level of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, I'm learning and, and I know that vulnerability is like the hot word these days and I couldn't be more pleased with it. Cause I just think it's the fastest way to get where you're going because vulnerability means being honest about like what's not working and inviting other people in to help you make it work better. Um, and so yeah. it's just so important. I can't overemphasize it enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I'm sh- you've worked with a lot of young people through Real World Scholars so far, and I'm sure that you would have come across a fair few that, you know, have probably not even thought about growth mindsets, probably are very much grown up through having developed a, more of a fixed mindset along things. And so what has been the biggest challenges um, that you found in terms of empowering young people to actually embrace that growth mindset um, who have really grown up with those sort of more fixed mindsets generally? That's a good question. I mean, I think. I, I mean, I, I know you talked about attachment, um, which mm-hmm. I guess would be a big one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is there is there sort of anything else that you find out to be pretty common? I do, and and one of this is a topic that I don't think is different for young people or less young people. Uh, you know, I think I find this every every stage of life. Uh, people have this issue, and I think the issue is an attachment to identity, right? I'm Elise. Yeah. I started, I co-founded this organization. I am good at these types of things, right? And those, that identity is crafted over time. We're deeply attached to it. We have scenes in our mind that reinforce it, right? That I'm the funny guy or like I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoic. Like whatever those things are, those words that we would use to describe ourselves. I'm good at this. I'm not good yeah. at that. Like they're deeply rooted. And I think there's two realities. One is that sometimes those stories that we've told ourselves about ourselves aren't true. Right. And so that's, that's a reality, you know, and, and I have that myself, right? Like I was always, you know, like a messy hair, sweatpants in college. Like I was, I'm a wreck. I just, I'm so crazy. You know, I'm all over the place. I'm disorganized, you know, and I just recently had to admit that's not true anymore. You know, that's not true. That's a story that I told myself about being all over the place. And when I said that over and over again, it reinforced this idea that like, I can't get my act together. But the reality is my act was already together. Like I, you know, we're doing the work already. But that was a story that like, wasn't true. And then the other thing is that we evolve. And the reality is, is that sometimes we, we are so attached to that sense of identity, because we work really hard as a, you know, as young people, that's such a huge part of our development or like brain development is that attachment to identity and figuring out who am I? That's like the young person's identity yeah. crisis that when we land on that, uh, wherever, when, whatever point that may be, whether it's in middle school or high school and college, it feels like we fought so hard for that identity that we don't want to let it go. Right. And I can only imagine that that is reinforced by social media today. Right. That like, this is the story. It's not just who am I, but like what story have I then told everyone else about myself? And so I think the reality is we change and, you know, I would hope that none of us want to be the same person that we were 10 years ago. Like, I definitely don't want to be 19 year old Elise, 19 year old Elise, like, you know, was, was a different person and what she wanted was different. And I'm so thankful that I've evolved because, you know, the yeah. world has evolved, my dreams have evolved. Right? And so I think embracing that evolution uh, is so important. And I even see that a lot with our teachers, right? Like a lot of educators that we work with, they grew up in a classroom where the teacher was in charge and had and was you know had a lock on on all of the knowledge that was going to be shared right like they knew more than the students that was the that was the paradigm but that's not true anymore right today students can get information at any point in time anything they want to learn about and half the time a lot of the things that they're learning about 
they're learning about at the same time as the teacher in the room, a lot of, you know, technology based kind of learning opportunities. And so I think I've seen a lot of educators have to do this identity shift as well, where their role is no longer contingent on them being the smartest person in the room who's always in charge. And that's, it's a hard, it's a hard shift um, for everyone. Yeah. Um, but I think when we can do that, oh man, it just opens us up so much more to like other peripheral learning experiences and expansions where we didn't know before. Like we hear this from teachers all the time, like how awesome it is to learn alongside their students, but getting there was so painful or such a, like they really had to like pry their own hands like out of the steering wheel so that other people could take control. And once they got there, it was really beautiful. And it even maybe accomplished their goals better than their original approach. But I think, you know, you have to get through that kind of painful detachment of what you really held to be true so that you can actually get to the reality of like what's possible. Yeah, definitely. And getting, getting comfortable with the fact that, you know, your identity is something that's going to develop over time through your experiences and being able to just soak all that in and, you know, develop along the way um, is super important and so valuable. Totally. Um, but in terms of finding that identity and a big part of finding that identity, I know for myself and for a lot of, uh, you know, young people that are going up through high school and even through university and older is actually that idea of finding, you know, finding your passion, finding what you care about, finding what drives you. Um, what have you found to be in terms of that process of shaping your identity and where passion lies in? What are your thoughts on it? And what do you think that young people should be doing to explore those things that drive them? Um, it's a good question. I like the word that you just used, explore. Um, I almost, you know, I think in some ways, this commission, this instruction to find your passion is really an unfair, uh, an unfair uh, suggestion, encouragement that we give to young people, like find your singular passion, right? I remember being a young person and being like, so conflicted, like, like eight or nine years old, like, what's my one thing, I need to figure out my one thing. And it was like, so stressful, like, what's gonna be that one thing that defines my whole life? Um, and to be totally honest, I don't think that that is a conversation that stopped at eight years old for me or for anyone else. You know, there's this feeling of like, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I have found that to not be very helpful. And so I think mm. today, I, I really, even with my friends who are, you know, in their 30s, in their 40s, uh, friends in their 20s, rather than thinking, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? Uh, I ask, what do I want to be doing for the next three to five years? Um, because there's two realities. One is kind of back to this growth mindset piece, like, I'm going to learn so much. And then, you know, if I'm really checked in and present, I'm just going to keep learning. So I can make a guess as to what I want to be doing 20 years from now, but it's likely going to change. If I'm actually showing up, you know, to bat every day, it's going to change because I'm going to learn new things about myself. I'm going to get interested and curious about new things. And so there's no point in trying to come up with like a 20 year plan. Um, and so now I just think about like three to five years, like what could I see myself doing for the next three to five years? And that's something that really eases that pressure. Cause I can't guess, I can't guess what I'm going to want to be doing at 40, but I think having probably I'm 29, I could guess what I want to be doing for the next four or five years. Um, and so I think that's a reality. And the other reality is that like the world is changing, right? The world is changing so rapidly that like, I don't know what the world's going to look like when I'm 40. Um, and so trying to guess yeah. with all of this pressure that I'm going to make this lifelong decision, I just think it, um, it really sucks the joy out of that exploration. And, um, and I'm going to want to try on a lot of different passions. And I would imagine a lot of young people do. And the reality is, with the job market, we're going to have the opportunity to work a lot of different jobs and to, to explore kind of different industries. And so I would just say, mm-hmm. accept that, ease up the pressure, don't take yourself so seriously. Um, you know, think about some of the things that you might want to explore. And, and then just 
uh, if you can try them on in short term, you know, three months, my, my partner, uh, he, he tries on learning experiences for three months. And so the last three months were Spanish, the next three months are voice lessons, right? And after that, he'll pick something new. And, and it just gives him the opportunity to explore different things. Uh, yeah. And then we can kind of start thinking about like, okay, what is beyond three months? What could that look like? You know, and so I just think we have to ease up this idea that you're going to find one singular passion and it's going to define you forever and ever because it's just, it's not realistic to like the human experience and it puts so much pressure on young people to, to commit to something um, that in, in a way that's actually not going to serve them and it steals all of the joy out of the process of living this life uh, that I, I think we got to, we got to get rid of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And everyone that I have, you know, spoken to um, and talking talking about, you know, finding that your your pathway, your passions have always said that it it really is just about trying things and, and doing things um, that you're going to fi- figure out sort of where you want to be going moving forward. Um, and it's never been for anyone that I've spoken to something where they've literally woken up one day or had a certain experience and was like, wow, this is exactly what I want to do. And they've just got out and done exactly that over the next 10 to 15 years. Um, so, yeah, 100% actually just having that ability and that mind, mindset shift again to look at things in a time frame rather than sort of your lifetime um, is a lot more valuable, a lot more productive. So, yeah, I'm 100%, I think that's such great advice. I, I would have loved to have um, heard that, you know, a couple of years ago alone, um, and I'm sure that people listening <laughs> would, have, would have loved to hear that right now. Um, but yeah, I also wanted to touch on that idea of of breaking it down, breaking it down into those, those smaller steps and smaller time frames. Something that I think would be so important about that, as you mentioned, is about like the way the world is changing, but also the way your personal circumstances change, you know, week to week and month to month. Um, if you've got sort of a fixed goal that you want to have or a fixed passion that you're sort of chasing, um, you kind of brush aside all of these circumstances that can really impact what you're able to achieve right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's true. And I think that comes back to, and I can't remember if we, this was earlier in our first conversation or a second <laughs> conversation, but like that idea of detours, right? Like having the opportunity to try things on and, and easing up. And I think, you know, uh, this feels like one of these truths that as I get older, I'm like, release. It's okay. Like, you know, they're like the stakes are not as high as sometimes we think they are as young people, because we're just told over yeah. and over again, you got to do this, then you got to go to college and you got to get a good job. And there's so many things that you have to do. And all of this is essentially, you know, if you can look at us as a species, and we're just figuring out like, once you've reached maturation, like, can you survive on your own as an organism, right? And so there's this crazy amount of pressure. And so, uh, and I think we get so focused in on like, this is the one story that is going to help me. I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to be a lawyer. It's going to be great because I'm going to make this many dollars. It's going to help me pay off my student loans. We get so caught up with the plans. And I think we miss out on a lot of our life right here and now. And and I definitely think that was the case for me, that I got very laser focused on some idea of success, that I missed out on some of the learning opportunities. And, and again, I was a busy person. Like It's not like I wasn't doing some of these things, but I don't know if I was always doing them for the right reasons. And Um, and so, you know, today I think about, again, why am I doing, what am I saying yes to? Why am I saying yes to these things? What can I do right here and right now? Um, what do I want to be doing right here and right now? Like, and I think it's a, it's a balancing game and it's really challenging. Um, especially if you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay your rent and how you're going to pay off your student loans or where you're going to go to college. Like those are real choices. And I don't want to dismiss the fact that like, 
just relax. Those things figure themselves out. Like that's not true for all young people. And I want to name that. But if you can in any way possible, like release the pressure on like what you're supposed to be doing for future you and start engaging current you. Uh, I think life gets a little bit better. I think it gets easier. I think it gets more beautiful. I think it gets more engaging and exciting because the reality is that there's opportunity all around you um, uh, in some way, shape or form. Uh, and while not every young person can access that opportunity, and that's a totally different and really important conversation uh, for those of us who uh, are not in desperate situations, uh, we if we can turn open our eyes and not to look around us and notice what's going on around us, I think we kind of start to see other opportunities. And I think that's where that learning piece comes in, right? Where like, we recognize that like, 16 year old Elise didn't know what 20 year old Elise could see, right? Because she wasn't there yet. But when 20 year old Elise got there, she can look around and say like, Oh, I didn't realize that these types of opportunities would be here. I didn't know that. And so I think that's just something that's so important is like that open handedness, knowing that like with each stage of life, this is not just about like, you know, pre high school, post high school, pre college, post college, like it's that's not I think it's relevant to any stage of life is that there's just no way that you're going to be able to guess what your circumstances are going to be in the future. And so you might as well just do your best to invest in your future by being very present and engaged in your now. Yeah, 100%. And like, you know, that process uh, and that shift of being able to decide that you, you know, you want to invest in your future by being present in the now. Um, at least I know as a young person who did sort of make that shift a couple of years ago and, and realizing that, you know, I wanted to make use of my skills, my creativity, my curiosity from a young age and do something that can make an impact. Yeah. Um, that it can also be pretty lonely, particularly as mm. there aren't a lot of other young people around you that are mm-hmm. sort of having those same shifts at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this was a big challenge for me over these past few years, but also for other young people listening in who are feeling a bit daunted by taking that leap and not really having the people around them to support them. What are the sort of things that I guess we've kind of just touched on the value of having that support and what is sort of being able to be around you while you're in these lonely patches? Yeah. Um, but yeah, what are some of the other things that benefits of, you know, surrounding yourself with the right oh. people and actually being able to find those right people then moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's everything. I cannot understate the value of finding your tribe. I think, you know, I even this with this work, I feel like at every stage of our organization, I have been thrown into a role that I did not know how to do. And, you know, a lot of these lessons learned have been things that I've been learning just over the last couple of years, right? So probably the first three years, and we're about to turn five. So, you know, I think I've done better for the last year or two. But yeah, the first two or three years, I was up late at night just thinking like, you know, and kind of lonely, right? Because a lot of my friends were not, you know, under this kind of amount of stress. Um, my friends from college or growing up or whatever. And I was just banging my head up against the wall because I thought I had to put on my my grown up suit and put on my grown up face into my grown up job and, and manage all these big grown up issues, right? Like mm. hiring and firing and grant proposals and district legal agreements. And I'm no lawyer. Like, you know, I was doing all these things all the time. And I thought that I had to figure them out. Because, you know, people talk a lot about natural talent, you know, that those people who are just like, so naturally good at x, y, and z, or just like, this idea that like, you're supposed to just know, especially if you're a young person who's ambitious and doing these things, like you got there because you just know, right? Like, you're really good at these things. You're so mature. And, and I think in some ways, for young people who end up in in places and they're trying to make something happen, 
it's hard. You really, it feels like you have to prove yourself. And so you're not willing to show that vulnerability. You're not willing to say, I don't know how to do this. Um, and so that, that was me the first three years. And I remember yeah. just like grinding my teeth at night, trying to think through, how do I do this? How do I have this really hard conversation? What do I do here? And I, and I would read the books and I, but it was all internal. It was all in my brain. And, and it was hell. It was so hard because the reality is that like, you know, experience is the best teacher. And so I was either going to have those experiences and learn, which was fine, but can be long and hard. <laughs> or yeah. I can start to leverage the experience of the people around me. And so, you know, I think a couple of years ago, and we spend as a team, we spend a lot of time on the road at conferences and whatnot. And, and over time, you know, you, you talk about what you're passionate about, and you talk about it enough. And you pursue people who um, are passionate about the same things, who share your anger and your angst and want to be involved in the same types of projects that you want to be involved in. And uh, and I think those people, you know, if you talk enough about it and, and you kind of seek that out, then I think the people who have kind of shared interests and not just anger, but people who want to do something about it, they gravitate towards you. And then before you know it, you are surrounded by people. And it's not easy. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's not like you just like one day find your tribe. Um, but you continue to put yourself out there and be in the communities that you want to be a part of um, and, and you share yourself with them. And before you know it, the people who you have natural connections to are around you more often, right? And you have better conversations. And then before you know it, you realize, oh, that person's really good about having conversations around race, right? And mm -hmm. I don't know how to have those conversations on my team. Or I don't know how to address these types of inconsistencies with our classrooms, right? And so I, I just one day, um, I started calling people. Like I just started calling people. I had this question and I remember being like, I don't, I don't know how to solve this. And I was talking to someone else on my team. And I was like, you hold tight. I'm going to walk outside. And I walked outside and I called a very good friend of mine who is a director of one of the high tech high schools. And I said, Hey, you got a few minutes. I want to pick your brain. And it was like, hilariously, it was definitely not a few minute conversation. It was like a big conversation. You know, I've well been like, how do you deal with death? Like something crazy. Um, yeah. But I was like, let me pick your brain. And he was like, wow, that's a really good question. This is what I would do. And, uh, and I just got in the habit of that. I just started calling people who like, we'd had these conversations in the past, maybe at a happy hour or in passing or whatever. And I think showing up with your most authentic self is the only way to find your tribe because you can only find the people you connect with if you actually put your put your shit on the table. And so, yeah. you know, finding the people who were like naturally magnetic towards me, we'd have these real conversations. And then I would actually start to call upon that and say, I need your help. What do you think about this? Or in your experience, how have you dealt with that? And people who are the same age as me, you know, because I think peer mentorship is huge. We have to be willing to share our learnings. And sometimes, you know, especially as young people, like you might be the only person at this social event who wants to talk about like cryptocurrency, right? <laughs> like maybe other people are talking about like other less intense things. Like you might be that person and you kind of have to understand that. That's for sure me. I'm the person who gets too intense too fast. But then all the other people who also want to talk about that weird thing that you want to talk about, they, they, they come to you, right? And so you yeah. just start relying upon them. And I think there's something about just picking up the phone, just pick up the phone because you can make people your mentor without make like without having this like sign on the dotted line. And today I have the yeah. people who I call and there's different people who I call for different types of things. Right. And when I want to know how to address, you know, want to pick their brain about X, Y, and Z, you know, and I think they appreciate that I value their insights and that I'm willing to call them. And then in, in exchange, they call me sometimes. And then before you know it, you've had this network of people who in a very informal way are very attached because we rely on each other for the things that we need, whether it's like, I need to rant, you know, or I need some help, or I need a sounding board, I need to get this off my chest, you know, whatever those things are, I think you need to put your most authentic self out there, 
when those people gravitate towards you, uh, you, you got to pick up the phone. And then I think you have to be willing to build real relationships with them. And, uh, and over time, it gets better. And so today, like I have an incredible network of people who are like brothers and sisters, I will call it any time. Uh, and, and we don't just share the professional, we share the personal, we're in it. And, and especially if you're a mission driven person, or you're really passionate, having people around you who are passionate about the same thing is so helpful, because you're then not that person at the party who's talking about the really intense thing all by themselves, right? You have those people who like, you know, your, your puzzle pieces match up. And that I think can make that loneliness feeling a lot less lonely. And then you don't have to reinvent the wheel each time. And that's been the thing that's most helpful for me, right? Is that like, I don't have to then go figure out how to do all of these hard things through all of my own mistakes. I get to call the people who've done this before yeah. and say, what would you say? And it saves me time. It saves me emotional and mental energy. Um, and it just, it, it expedites my work considerably. Yeah, 100%. And that's something, I mean, out of doing this podcast that I didn't really expect at the start was, you know, finding my tribe as well along the way. Like I've built so many great, incredible, meaningful relationships with the guests I've, guests I've had along the way um, that it, you know, carried so much more value than I expected um, when starting out. But also what I wanted to do was show that, you know, people like yourself and everyone else that I've had on here, you know, have gone through just like everyone listening in, that stage where we were looking for that support network as well. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, taking that step to reach out and with an intention of building those meaningful relationships. Like I always look at um, sort of approaching things with a give before you get attitude. Like what can I do to help out those around me that are, you know, looking to do incredible things as well. Um, totally. And get that reciproc- reciprocating intentions um, as we totally. move along and find those right people. Um, it just yeah. creates such a such a really positive environment, and yeah, it's so great that we could really talk about that because you know finding that tribe. Um, I know for a lot of young people is something that is daunting, but also um, something we don't really think about because I think you know we feel like we see influencers online doing things, you know, posting stuff where it seems like they're doing it all themselves. Um, when it's obviously they've got like a massive team behind them as well, but we don't really see that. Totally. So I think a lot of us yeah. feel like we have to go out and do the same things and do it ourselves where it's literally just not possible. Yeah. And there's just like this, there is this glorification of like the, the solopreneur, right? Mm. Like the person who was like that, that one visionary, the lone wolf, you know, and the reality is, is it's bullshit. Not only is it not the re like the, the real story for most people, even when it is the true story, I think what the, the parts that are missing from it are the loneliness, are the burnout, are the isolation, are the fact that those people often can't, can't solo it forever. Um, because we're pack animals. Like that is the reality is that we are pack animals. Like we need each other and we do better together. And so I think if we can ditch the sexiness of like being that like face on Forbes, you know, I was on the Forbes 2000, the 30 under 30 list for, um, for 2018 and everyone has like this solo picture and it just there was something in my gut that kind of just twists because i'm like it's all about like our work here at real world scholars and it's just a picture of me mm-hmm. but it's not just me it was never just me i've got a co-founder i've got a team i have so many educators who have been such a big part of getting me here i have a personal community who is so pivotal in helping me stay sane and balanced and healthy you know and so I think we, to some degree, have to remind ourselves that all of this imagery that we get around what it means to be a successful young person, most of it's just not true. And not only is it not true, but it, it's not like the recipe for like joy, happiness, wellness, success. Um, I think if you want to go, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. Yeah, 
I love that. I love that sentiment. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Elise, I want to um, acknowledge you for a second before um, we sort of close up here. I think that you've been, you are an absolutely incredibly insightful person, someone that really wants to give. Um, and it shows with your work. It shows with the conversation that we've had here today. I think a lot of people are very thankful for the incredible work that you're doing um, and it definitely resonates with myself and I'm sure with a lot of other young people listening in um, and the people that you're creating an impact for with Real World Scholars. And I hope we're going to see a generation of people growing up because of you know individuals and teams uh, and tribes of people actually working towards that change and empowering you to make that difference. So yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge you. I really do think you're doing some amazing stuff and appreciate all of the, the great advice that you had here. Well, thank you. And I appreciate that there are people like you who are uh, kind of breaking down these these conversations for young people, because I often think that there is this idea that like young people are just supposed to know you're just supposed mm-hmm. to know what to do next. And uh, and if you don't like, it's because you've done something wrong, but the reality is that life is really complicated. And if we can all just share our experiences, we get a better idea of like what the way forward can look like, um, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in our, in the fullness of life, not just like the, the resume stamp, you've, you've accomplished something golden star. And so thank you. Thank you for inviting me being on the podcast and just kind of doing this work for, for this generation of young people. Absolutely. Well, it's been amazing, um, having you on. I'm sure that, you know, with uh, another chat. Um, later down the line around some different topics might not be out of the question for sure so yeah appreciate having you on Elise Uh, thank you so much for your time thank you (laughs) thank you so much for listening in I hope this has given you some more insight some inspiration into exploring those new things that you want into taking those next steps and driving change just before I let you go I do want to ask you to please leave a review for this podcast it really helps me understand the content and how I should maybe adjust it to make it better as well as making sure that more people can access this podcast and find it a lot easier thanks so much